What defines success? When you feel so strongly in, in your business idea and you have really strong convictions, there's not much that can get in the way of that. What happens when you get knocked down? I'm not going to lie and say it's easy. We, we certainly are working very hard in the last two years, have been fast paced, but we rely on each other a lot because at the end of the day, this company will succeed if we're both focused, well rested, able to make decisions that are well thought out. What makes some people radiate? We're always thinking through kind of what are our friends going through? What are we going through? And how can we create a better experience, a better product, a better brand? This is Radiate. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining Radiate, the place where we interview some of the world's most successful people to find out how they work their way to the top. I've gotten a few emails recently from people asking to hear about the success stories of young women entrepreneurs, and I immediately thought about two women I met recently, the founders of Lola. It's a subscription service for, yes, tampons. They're one of the most buzzed about startups in New York City, two Dartmouth grads who wanted to create and deliver feminine products in a better way. Plenty of men have backed them, including famed New York City entrepreneur, and venture capitalist Kenny Lair. From the outside, it looks so easy what they created, but as founders Jordana Kier and Alexander Friedman explain, it took a lot of grit and a lot of hard work. Enjoy. Alex, Jordana, thank you so much for joining me on this Radiate podcast. So let's start off with how you both came up with this idea? How did it all get started? Alex, you want to start first? Sure. So the concept was originally a delivery business. We um, never had tampons when we needed them. And the idea really came about to try and meet that need. But as we did research into the feminine care market and uh, really understood the products that were out there and what the mainstream brand stood for, we realized we couldn't figure out what was in the products that were being sold that we had been using for 15 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and at that moment, Lola was born because we realized we couldn't figure out what was in the products and we wanted to solve the massive transparency issue in feminine care. Um, so today, Lola um, is a subscription service tampon business with 100% cotton tampons where we tell you exactly what's in the products. They're 100% natural. Um, and you can get a customized box delivered to your door every month or every other month. Skip, adjust, cancel anytime. Jordana, did you realize that there was some sort of you know, market need or was it just sort of gut instinct? Did you do any kind of data research before you and Alex got together? I mean, we had done a bunch of just reading market you know, any kind of market research we could get our hands on. At the time, I was in business school at Columbia and, um, you know, kind of utilized their library of resources as much as I could. I was sort of, I remember at the end of my summer internship, you know, before school started, it was empty and I was in the <laughs> library just trying to print anything I possibly could um, that would, you know, help help us kind of understand the market and the entire industry at large. You know, when we started building the business, a big component of what we needed to prove was, you know, would people, would women care enough to switch? Um, you know, it's one thing to educate and be aware, be made aware of something, but it's quite another to actually spend money um, in 
a different way than you have and change your behavior that becomes consistent with kind of the the message that you're hearing. And so what Alex and I did almost as kind of a first project when we started working together was to launch a big um, survey. It was to um, talk to as many women as we could. It was, um, you know, in one-on-one calls, it was mm-hmm. focus groups, um, you know, just to get, and, and I mean, it's funny now, you know, periods and the talk of talk of tampons and the tampon tax, there's a lot that's kind of out into the ether right now um, that has made it much more, uh, much easier for people in general to talk about these topics. But two and a half years ago, that was not the case. Um, And so Hmm. really, Alex and I, you know, I don't want to call us pioneers, but like (laughs) we were, but we were in a sense, you know, starting the conversation um, in a way that few women had really chatted about it before. And so, you know, we went into these focus groups that we had set up and it was friends or friends of friends. And so, you know, some women we knew very well, some women we really didn't know at all. Um, And, you know, the first five minutes were a little bit uncomfortable, but, you know, after you kind of get people kind of talking about this very common thing that happens to all of us, you know, you had women kind of like clamoring for, you know, time and and, um, attention because they wanted to tell this other hilarious story that they had just thought of um, when they had gotten their period at a very inopportune time. So, you know, it was, it was really, that was probably the start and seeing how women reacted um, really gave Alex and myself the validation to, to move forward and, and raise some capital. So Alex, when you were raising capital though, I mean, it's hard enough to talk about this with other women, but how did you talk about it with men that you wanted money from? Um, we were very direct. We knew that a big part of the pitch was education and that a lot of people we were talking to either didn't use the product, had never seen the product, weren't super familiar with all of the words that we use to describe the product. And so it really was like pitching any other business where the audience didn't use the product before. And, you know, for the most part, everyone we met with was completely comfortable with the topic, not super squeamish. In a lot of instances, when we were pitching men, they would ask for samples and give them to their female friends or girlfriends, sisters, <laughs> wives to, to test the product and be able to really get that firsthand feedback from somebody who used the product. And what made you think, Alex, of, of making this a subscription service? I mean, how did you come up with that idea? The real impetus behind Lola is to try and solve you know, the long list of issues with the feminine care market. So transparency, as we discussed before, is the number one issue. Women deserve to know what's in this product because Mm -hmm. it goes inside their body and they use it for almost a week every month for 40 years. So this is a product that, you know, like all of the other products that touch your body, we should know what's in them. Um, But there were also a lot of other issues with the market, namely brand and access. So on the brand side, Um, The mainstream brands aren't particularly relatable. They come in flowery pink boxes. They don't really speak to us. And we wanted to change that and make the experience more sophisticated, more real, um, and have the brand have a voice that we could relate to. On the access side, we were never prepared. Every month, our periods come, and we simply weren't prepared. And what we wanted was for a, a, you know, a beautiful box from a brand we trust to arrive every month. And so delivery was a really important piece of that and a, a, you know, a very important feature of the business from the beginning to ensure that we could solve for all three things, better product, better right. brand, better service. Uh, so Jordana, tell me, you know, so, so you get together with Alex and you have this idea, you talk to, you know, a bunch of women and, and you f- figure out that, yeah, there actually is a need 
um, there are women willing to talk about it and, and they feel that they want more out of their feminine care products. So, so what is the first step? I mean, for those who are listening and say, okay, I've got a great idea, but what is my first step? You know, what is the first step after you figure out and you validate your, your idea? What do you do? I mean, uh, you, you try not to think about everything at once, but also have to think about everything at once. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, anything, everything and anything from um, make a list of all the questions you have. I mean, that's kind of what we were doing in the beginning. We were, we were thinking of all the questions we needed to have answered. Um, we were thinking about all the all the experts in you know various different e-com companies that um, we knew through our networks that we could tap into and and have you know and help them or have them help us guide uh, navigate through these various different questions so for example um, you know well Alice and I both don't have any development shops um, and so okay how are we going to build our website what does our website look like mm-hmm. um, you know how do we you know how does it function and also how does it educate because you know we were obviously all also trying to tackle this very, um, you know, this very sort of stigmatized, you know, part of a woman's life, but then also, um, and, and, and encourage her to switch because it was easy. It was, um, it was better for her. It was convenient. And that we were kind of two women solving a problem that she didn't know she had yet. So the website was a great example of kind of a piece of the business that, you know, we had a ton of questions around. We could obviously look to all of these various other different companies that had been born online. Um, Warby Parker, Harry's, um, Everlane are great examples, Everlane in particular, because I think the uh, level of transparency that they communicate to their customers was very similar to what we wanted to do as well. Right. Um, and so you look at all these websites and you say, okay, how did, you know, what's their checkout process like? So that was kind of, um, that was a piece of it, the website, obviously then the product, right? I mean, where do you get the product? You know, let's try various different products to make sure that we're, you know, we're going to be selling the one that we want to sell? How do we collaborate with the manufacturer to kind of create a more Lola experience in the product? What does the packaging look like? I mean, there's just so many different pieces of the puzzle. um, And obviously, it's very overwhelming. And I think what Alex and I tried to do was almost map out, okay, well, you know, what's, what's super pressing right now? Like, what do we have to maybe show our investors or potential investors? Okay, so Alex, I know it's from my own experience right now, it's really, really messy, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting starting a business. So, so how do you organize all that? What Georgiana just said, I mean, how do you organize all of that in your in your head? And then how do you also kind of disseminate that to your team so that it's organized for them? Communication is really the key, probably communication and spreadsheets. Um, from the very beginning, we were a team of two and we were able to outline the various functions of the business and make sure that there was a leader on each. So, um, you know, we, we try to balance the workload evenly between us and Jordana focuses on a lot of the operational logistics, finance, internal, um, management of the business. And I'm doing a lot of the external facing stuff like marketing, press and brand. Um, and to this day, after two years, we still both manage those areas of the business, but it's also very collaborative where we sit together all day, every day. We have regularly scheduled touch bases where we're reviewing progress across different areas of the business. And as we've hired in and grown, um, we were hiring in to meet the, the highest impact needs, um, you know, within those different areas of the business. So, um, as long as we're communicating and organized about who owns what, who's driving what, and who the final decision maker is on what, 
were set. So who was your first hire after you two? So we hired a head of marketing um, who's been with us for a little bit over a year now. She joined us before we launched the business um, and really helped us establish our brand voice, messaging across different channels, how to access customers across the United States um, and build out our early email marketing program. Yeah, that's great. And you have a great brand and and you have a great brand presence and a voice as well. Um, Jordana, I'm I'm curious, going back on the investing side and, and presenting, you know, I'm sure a lot of women entrepreneurs have this question as I do myself, which is, did you ever feel walking into a room that you were, you know, you were underestimated and, you know, and you blew them away? with your presentation, you know, just being a woman entrepreneur? Because we were coming in with this very, you know, female-centric idea um, that Alex and I were incredibly passionate about, um, frankly, like we we kind of, we felt like we had the am- ammunition we needed to convince them that this was something they should invest in, um, you know, from both, you know, the market size to the, you know, potential um, expansion of the market into different ancillary products to the fact that this was kind of a need to have. It wasn't a nice to have, you know, there was a subscription element to it. There were a lot of factors that would be convincing to any investor. And I think, you know, Alex and I used the, not used, but we, you know, we leveraged the fact that, you know, we were experts in this product because we had been using this product for years and years and could answer a lot of very basic questions that a lot of investors had because they had never even touched a tampon before. Right. And so I think that gave us a lot of power that we used. And, you know, it, it's, it's also, I mean, look, periods can also be very funny. Um, you know, and so there was a, you know, there was a little bit of breaking the ice in the beginning where we would like, you know, kind of throw a tampon in, in the investor and say, look, like open it, you know, see what it looks like. Um, and you know, that always got a little laugh and, you know, it was kind of a great way to, um, to, to start to develop the relationships with our various investors because, you know, we knew who could kind of hang and who couldn't. (laughs) Right. Who could, who could, who could talk about it and, uh, and not get, not get weird or squeamish or, or whatnot. Exactly. Now, Jordana, what would be your best advice or tip for anybody who's fundraising? I mean, what, what did you learn from that process? What would be the best piece of advice you could give someone? I would say start as early as you can to get in front of people who can give you that very objective feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it, I think it's always really scary, um, when, especially when you've thought of an idea, you're, you know, it's, it's something, it's a passion project, you know, it's something you're, you know, you're thinking 24 seven about, um, and it's very scary to kind of open yourself up to criticism or, you know, constructive feedback, um, you know, especially those first few times, but it's really, it was really valuable to, to kind of get questions from investors that Alex and I, you know, had thought of or had not thought of and, you know, needed then needed to invest more time to understand, you know, a specific um, distribution channel or whatever. Um, you know, I think getting the questions that we hadn't thought of asked of us, um, you know, really helped us hone the business, you know, understand where we wanted to focus, where we could outsource, um, you know, getting in front of people kind of who could give us that, that objective feedback, not in that tough love, you know, not just your friends and family who say, Oh, that sounds great. Um, you know, that's not going to be helpful to you at the end of the day. No, I mean, you want critical feedback. So, so what was the most common question you got from investors? (laughs) 
I mean, the one that comes to mind, I don't know if it was the most common, but the one that comes to mind was, you know, why are there different sizes of tampons? <laughs> like, is it for the different size women? And, you know, it, that was a, a very, um, that was a common question from men hmm. a lot of the time, um, you know, and, and that, I think that spoke to the fact that, you know, this, this whole industry um, has been pretty untouched um, for so many years. And at the end of the day, it's, it has to be a, co- a conversation between both men and women, you know, because women are, you know, the primary consumers of the household typically, and they're buying products for their, their partners, their kids, um, you know, anybody else who's living in the house. And so men should be a part of that conversation to understand what women are buying, um, you know, not just for themselves, but for, you know, for the rest of the family. And so, um, I don't, I don't know. I thought that was a, it was a common question and it was one that, um, you know, it allowed Alex and myself to really educate um, the person on the other side of the table. That's interesting. Alex, Jordana was talking about feedback and I'm kind of curious, you know, as you're going through product reviews, you know, because, you know, you, you have a consumer product and people go online and they write reviews, uh, you know, and most of them are great, but, you know, you will have people who say, well, you know, I didn't like this product because of this or that. How do you deal with that kind of feedback from consumers? What do you do? So we try to collect as much feedback as we can across the product, the brand, the service. We're talking to customers live. Jordana and I make time every month to talk to folks about what they like and don't like about the brand. Um, And we're actively collecting feedback from our um, customer experience helpline. And basically what we do on a weekly basis is aggregate all the feedback into categories to see, you know, what are the hot button issues and what might be one-offs and um, then prioritize them. So, you know, for the most part, we hear questions about service. If somebody doesn't get a box delivered on time, or maybe they changed their address and um, changed it too late, we want to make sure that we're able to send all of the product to to folks at the right time. Um, And so those are kind of a majority of the issues that we hear about. Is delivery. Um, Is, yeah, I mean, you know, logistics are a big piece of our business. Um, For the most part, the brand and the product really resonate with women. And it's really about honing our day-to-day systems to make sure we get women what they need when they need it. And we've done remarkably well so far. Um, But you know, we're actively tracking and collecting as much feedback as we possibly can to make the business the best it can be. What's been the most surprising piece of feedback you've gotten from a customer? That's a great question. We get a lot of really positive feedback. um, And every now and then we get positive feedback on something that you know, maybe we're insecure about something that, you know, there are a handful of things that we spent a ton of time developing with a lot of conviction that these are the things that our customer needs. And then there are other things that kind of, you know, fell into place or were second on our list of priorities. And when we hear really positive feedback on those things, we're always, you know, our heart is always warmed. (laughs) Like what, for instance, can you point to an example? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we set up the system for adjusting your subscription as simply and best we could. So a customer, you know, can sign up for a one month order with, you know, 18 regulars in a box and get it every month. And we wondered, you know, will will our customer easily and seamlessly be able to figure out how to log into her account and adjust this whenever she needs? Will she be able to skip an order? Will she be able to change what comes in the box? You know, 
Um, will she be able to do this seamlessly on desktop and mobile? And we did our best to set it up right. Um, but we, you know, we consistently get a lot of feedback about how easy the site is to use and how easy it is to manage subscriptions. Right. And um, we're always, you know, really thrilled to hear that. So Jordana, how do you and Alex deal with conflict? You know, when you guys disagree about something, how do you, how do you work that out? <laughs> um Sometimes rock, paper, scissor. Um, <laughs> not kidding. Um, Look, I mean, simple, but, but proven. Yeah, simple, but effective. Most of the time, I have to say we're pretty aligned. Um, you know, I think it's actually pretty amazing given the fact that we, you know, we met, we met, I mean, about a year before we launched the business and, and, but that whole year really we're working on the business together. Um, it's pretty amazing that, you know, I think our approach to the brand and our aesthetic is, is actually incredibly similar. Um, so we don't get a lot of, we don't really conflict, uh, uh, heads at all when it comes to really what the brand should stand for, who are, who our customer is, how do we, how do we get in touch with her? Um, you know, where do we reach her and where do we not reach her? Um, I don't know really what our conflicts are based on. They're, um, they're really, they're, they're much more, um, um, I don't know I don't know how to else to say it, but like, they're just, they're pretty insignificant conflicts right. are aligned when it comes to kind of where the, the brand is going and where we want to take it and how we want to build it. So, um, I know that's a boring answer for you, but I no, really no. can't think of anything we've really butt heads on. That's great for your business that, that you, that you are so aligned, but what about bringing people on? I mean, you've, you're building out your team. Have you brought people on that just didn't work out and you had to let them go? And if you did, what did you learn from that? That's such a good question. Um, we have. We've definitely dealt with some, you know, we've made decisions that eventually we realized they were not the right decisions for the business and for the team. I think we've learned, I mean, something that we've definitely learned and and that, uh, you know, kind of goes back to the way that Alex and I first worked together was, you know, really tr like a trial or some sort of product project that um, somebody can work on with us just to get a sense of, you know, how how do they think? How deep in the weeds can they get? Um, but but also stepping outside of that and really thinking through their the numbers or you know the the way that um, the brand should um, should resonate with women. Um, I mean, an example of that is you know when we were hiring for our operations, we have a few different exercises that candidates go through now to make sure that you know their analytical skills are you know, or their quantitative skills are kind of what we expect. Um, but then also their qualitative sort of analysis, analyses, you know, under looking at different problems and kind of thinking through, okay, well, where, where can I decrease my costs? And how could I do that? And really thinking through, um, you know, not just like building a model, but really thinking through those numbers and what each of them means, yeah. um, and how they tell and how they tell a story that can also be helpful for marketing or helpful for customer service. Um, you know, we want to, we really, um, we've been really lucky to find, um, you know, this kind of early team. Um, and how many people at, do you have? Where, so we're seven full time. Okay. We have two interns who are wonderful. They're with us for the summer. Um, and we have two additional people joining us um, at the end of the summer as well. So clearly me finding people I, I hear from entrepreneurs all the time and CEOs and, and anybody who has to hire, uh, hiring talent is extremely, extremely difficult, hiring good talent. So how, mm -hmm. how have you found talent? Um, I, it's really been pretty half and half um, inbound and also, you know, utilizing our networks. So um, 
I'd say about a few people who have joined the team emailed us their resume. Um, you know, we had a, we had a job opening on our site and, um, and they emailed and, um, and, you know, we got to know them over the, over the interview process. And then a few others, we, you know, we kind of sought out, you know, whether it was companies that we thought, you know, were excellent in a specific function or somebody in our network knew somebody who was looking for a job. Um, you know, it was, it, it's really been a combination of, of all of those things, but, um, the thing that also Alex and I have probably learned and, you know, it's, it's like this old kind of tenet, I think of like building businesses, which is higher, slow, fire, fast. And, you know, I think especially it's, that's very hard to follow just given the fact that startups, you know, are running a mile, you know, a billion miles a minute. Um, but it really is, you know, I think we've learned that it's really, you know, you want to, you want to hold out for the right person. At the end of the day, if you hire somebody just because they're a work body, um, you know, you're going to end up going through the same process in three months or six months. So put in the time now. Right. I mean, wait until you find the exact right person and not not to just have somebody there so you can say somebody is there working with you. Exactly. Alex, I'm, I'm curious about another, uh, another topic that I hear a lot of questions about is balance, right? How do you balance work and, and your personal life? So, you know, is being an entrepreneur, you have to absolutely be 24-7 or or, or not, or maybe you can find some balance as you're building a company. The key is making sure your team is strong and that somebody is always available. So we've been able to find balance individually by being co-founders, which I think is you know, a really valuable thing for both of us to be able to have balance. I imagine that if either of us were doing this alone, um, it would feel a lot more grueling. There would be a lot more kind of late nights. Um, every fire drill would have to be dealt with. You know, right. by one by one person, but because there are two of us, um, we're able to communicate and figure out, you know, the best times for us both to be online and available, and really make time to work out, get enough sleep, see our family and friends. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to lie and say it's easy. We we certainly are working very hard in the last two years, have been fast paced, um, but we rely on each other a lot to make sure that we both have time off because at the end of the day, um, this company will succeed if we're both focused, well rested, able to make decisions um, that are well thought out. And um, if we can take a little bit of the load off each other and the team and everyone can do that for each other. We can all find balance while, while running a very fast paced early stage business. And, and I find this a lot. So with co-founders, you know, even if you are taking time off, I mean, you're always on, right? I mean, you're always, um, you know, you'll be there if you need to be for the business and you're a hundred percent dedicated to building it. But what about for your, for the people that you bring on? I mean, how do you, how do you manage them and expectations between work and life? The, the, you know, the key thing um, in, in any early stage hire for the first 10 people joining a business is making sure that they're passionate about building and growing this business and um, all being aligned that we want to create something great together is really what drives everyone on the team. So as leaders and as managers, we really try to lead by example, uh, show that we're committed to making sure that if there's an emergency or a fire drill that has to be dealt with, 
we're there to deal with it. And we want everybody to feel like a leader and an owner in the business and step up and um, help out whenever needed across all functions of the business. And we've really been able to do that, I think, because we're, we're both so committed to making this happen. And we've found such excellent, high caliber driven, smart, passionate people who really want to make it happen. So to be honest, it, it has all come together. Um, pretty with a lot of hard work, but almost effortlessly because everyone wants to contribute. Jordana, how do you deal with overcoming fear? You know, I ask a lot of people about this who are very successful, but, but, but they, you know, they might run into an obstacle. I mean, how do you deal with fear? Um, good question. Um, I don't know. Alex would, I don't know if, I don't know if Alex would say this about me. I don't, I don't think I'm that afraid. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, That's I, good. Think, I think it's, um, when you feel so strongly in, in your business idea and you have really strong convictions, um, you know, there's, there's not much that can get in the way of that. How about mistakes? What about dealing with, um, can you think of like a big mistake that you may have made with this business early on and what you learned from it? I mean, I think it goes back to probably just like, you know, finding the right early stage team. Um, you know, we, we had a few people on the team who, you know, it just ended up that it, it wasn't the right fit, frankly, on both ends. So, I mean, we've made some hiring mistakes. I mean, just getting back to kind of the fear, the, um, I think that what I only, what stresses me out, frankly, is probably just like the stakes of the business, right? Like I just, I really want this to succeed. I know Alex does. I know our team does. Um, Mm -hmm. and we work extremely hard every day to make sure that it does succeed, but that doesn't, you know, I I think you probably also need a little bit of fear and paranoia to to propel you and to keep you, um, (laughs) hungry and, and, um, and working very urgently on various different tasks of the business. So, um, I don't have fear like when I, when I pitch to people, um, I have fear more that I, you know, it's, it's, that it's maybe that a little bit of fear that helps me, you know, keep going and, uh, and working really hard to make sure that this does succeed. Uh, Alex, uh, I'm curious about, you know, some of the recent news about Birchbox not doing as well and other subscription services. Does that worry you about Lola? We've certainly been following all of the other subscription box stories and have been inspired by them. Um, and all of their successes over the last five plus years. I think, um, you know, for us, we're really trying to just focus on what we're building here, learn lessons from the other businesses. We certainly, um, you know, know the Birchbox founders and know a lot of the other founders of the other businesses, and they've been able to provide us with um, incredible advice from early days and um, tips for how to grow the business, how to scale to more, you know, even greater scale and how to hire all the right people. And it really feels like, you know, we certainly have learned a lot from their experiences. Um, You know, looking at the market today, I think, and as we talk to investors, there's certainly a question about whether to be hyper laser focused on growth or to be laser focused on profitability early. And, you know, in a lot of instances, those two um, goals can conflict. And so, you know, what we're really thinking through um within the first year of business at Lola is, you know, what is the right way to grow the business? What's the most responsible way to grow the business? Um, And really take into account the context around us to figure out um, the best path forward. Uh, And Jordana, on a final note, 
you know, where would you like to see Lola in a year? I mean, what is, you know, what's going to be the big challenge and how are you going to get to get over it and get to your goal? Good question. Um, I mean, I think in a year we'd like to be, I mean, the vision for the, for the company is to, you know, be able to be a one-stop shop for women who need anything for their reproductive menstrual needs. So ideally a year from now, we have a bunch of additional products on the market um, that can, you know, help um, solve for some of these, uh, you know, inconveniences and very sensitive and intimate things that women need throughout their lives. Um, You know, I think something that Alex and I feel very passionate about is that we, we're our, our own customers. And so, you know, we're always thinking, Thinking through kind of what are what are our friends going through, what are we going through, um, and how can we create a better experience, a better product, um, a better brand, um, you know, that speaks to women like you know the age that they are, not you know stopping when they're 13, 14, um, and just kind of um, relying on the status quo. Um, you know, a lot of these issues have just, you know, become much more mainstream and we're excited to be part of that conversation. So, um, you know, I think in a year we'd like to be kind of a leading, um, a leading company in those categories, um, and also a place where women can go to get a lot of their, um, their questions answered. That's it for this week. Please stay tuned for next week's episode. And did you know Radiate is now a video platform as well? So instead of just listening, you can now watch great leaders talk about their successes, their failures, and lessons for you. Go to radiateinc.com and watch our videos. Register for premium offerings. This week, we have a great one starring Jack Welch. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard on this podcast, please subscribe and review us on iTunes. Follow RadiateInc.com on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us. I'm Betty Lou. Talk to you next week on Radiate.